Hey, Billy, why don't we tell them what we're about, man? So we're here to welcome you to the Madhouse Chronicles. It's a talk show with myself, Billy Morrison. And me, as the This man, Prince of Darkness, and we watch and react to the maddest internet clips. What do we discuss, Ozzy? Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, all that kind of shit. Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit OsborneMediaHouse.com to get special access to... Come to, on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am Paul Coliani. I am a personal empowerment coach. And this is where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. And there are lots of them. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, welcome to the show. I want to start off by saying... Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you've been a longtime fan or a longtime listener, uh, we're coming up on November 2018. The show started November 2013, so five years. And uh, for those of you who've been listening since day one, and um, I still hear from you. <laughs> Every now and then I get an email that says, Paul, I've been listening to you since day one. And sometimes I recognize your name and sometimes I don't. Sometimes people listen and they never reach out and say hi. And I'm here to say that if you've been listening a while, reach out and say hi. Say, hey, I'm out here. Or not. Up to you. I'm just happy you're still listening. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. I don't usually put a lot of fluff in the beginning of the show, <laughs> like now, but I'm just happy that five years is coming, and I'm still here, still doing this, and I plan on continuing to do it for as long as possible. You know, I went to um, the doctor, and I had some tests done. I'm not going to talk about those tests here and now, but you're going to hear it pretty soon on another show that I'm doing, and I'll let you know when that show comes out. But it really brought up some emotional stuff for me. I, I had to deal with things that as I get older, I'm 48 now, going to be 49 next year, uh, we have to deal with stuff. We have to deal with more medical things. Your body goes through changes as you get older. And for the first time, I mean, seriously, for the first time ever in my life, I realized, oh, I'm getting older. <laughs> and uh, that's a scary thought. I didn't think I would be scared by it, but it was a scary thought. Not because I'm afraid of getting old, but I'm afraid of the bodily failures that happen when you get old or, you know, other scary things that come down when you, where you hear about people getting sick, getting cancer, getting ill, dying, uh, and older people that have immunity issues and they're more susceptible I'm getting into that age range. I mean, I'm still young. A lot of people listening are like, 48? <laughs> That's nothing. Well, I am on the beginning process of it. I'm on the beginning stages of understanding what it means to be old. Now, again, I'm not saying 48 is old. I'm not complaining about it either. I actually like being 48. It took me a long time to get out of looking like a very young person. And I actually had a problem with that. I actually had a problem looking young because nobody, well, a lot of people didn't take me seriously. Uh, secondly, I also had a problem acting seriously. <laughs> so it was my fault no matter what. I didn't act seriously. I looked young. 
I was skateboarding well into my 20s. I look like a kid. I mean, I was working and everything and I was holding down a house and, you know, I was doing things that an adult, quote, should do. But I still was in this young phase of life. And I've said before, you know, a lot of men are usually 10 years younger than they are. So when I was 24, I was like 14. I was still playing. I was still a kid in my heart, in my mind. But the problem with that is as I grew up, as I reached my 30s and my mid-30s, I still looked very young. It's not a bad problem to have, I know. But when you want to be taken seriously, at least I'm speaking from a guy's perspective, it's helpful to look like you have some years on you. This is my opinion. (laughs) This isn't necessarily truth. It's my truth. But I did feel like because I didn't have uh, or look like I had enough years on me, a lot of people didn't think I was wise. A lot of people thought that I just wasn't smart. And in my 30s, I started becoming more educated about things. And a lot of it had to do with healing from a lot of my dysfunctions. In my 30s, I was starting to become aware of my dysfunctions. I was starting to become aware of what needed healing in me. So the emotional growth for me happened in my 30s. And the physical changes happened closer to my 40s. And now I'm having more physical changes, which is now helping me transform again. Helping me evolve both mentally and hopefully an evolution physically, although I don't see an evolution out of it. (laughs) I hope I don't devolve, but that's what happens. I mean, our bodies slowly, I I don't want to make this a, a downer of an episode, but it deteriorates. So because of that, we have to take care of ourselves even more. And after going to the doctor and getting some tests back, you know, I thought I was eating healthy. I thought I was doing well, but there's always more you can do and probably should do. And getting tests back from the doctor highlights that and says, well, you know, like one of my tests was you have too much sugar in your blood or too much glucose or whatever. And you're pre-diabetic. I'm thinking I'm pre-diabetic. How is that possible? I even gave up sugar. I, I eat stevia. Yes, but you eat bread and corn and pasta and you know all these other things. Oh, so you can tell I'm not smart in the area of how the body works. <laughs> but I know enough to know that, hey, when that's bad for you, I should stop doing it. So after going to the doctor, I find out that I have high blood sugar. So I need to work on that. And I have no problem with that. I I gave up sugar for a couple months once and everything that converted to sugar and it it changed my taste buds. It changed my, uh, it it got rid of my addiction. I used to be addicted to sugar and soda and taking that uh, sabbatical, that vacation from sugar was a life changer that really helped me reset my system. But, you know, you come back from a doctor and you have test results and now you make new life decisions. Hopefully, if you need if you need to. For me, I look at this and I think I need to make new life decisions. And throughout my life, and I'm sharing this with you because you may experience changes throughout your life too, and maybe you can relate to this. Throughout my life, throughout your life, it seems that there is a pattern or a cycle that we go through that is a transformation process. And that cycle seems to happen, uh, at least in my experience, every five to 10 years. And it does seem that way. It does seem like after a five-year period, something changes. But after a 10-year period, something definitely changes. It's usually the 10-year period, but there are minor changes in between. But um, just me evolving from a kid to an adult was a 10-year process in my 20s. And then from the adult perspective who needed to heal from a lot of dysfunctions in his past, that took another 10 years, and it's that's going to be a lifetime process. But there was a lot of changes in that 10 years. And then when I reached my 40s, this 10-year cycle involves coming to a level of, I don't want to call it intelligence, but 
understanding, knowledge, experience that leads to some wisdom of what I've gone through. When I believe when you reach your 40s, you have somewhat a wisdom of what you've gone through so that you know not to make the same mistakes, so that you know to make better choices when you listen to yourself and you become wise in yourself and what you need to do for yourself. I think that's a healthy place to be and people want to be around that kind of energy. Uh, but like I was saying, in, in my 40s, I feel more wise about my my life, my mistakes in life, my successes, my um, relationships, how I show up in the world, um, how I honor myself, how I value myself. All of these things, I believe, should start to appear by now, especially if you've, have a, if you've had a lot of dysfunction in your life. If you haven't had a lot of dysfunction in your life, I think it can come a lot faster, a lot earlier in life. But you have to be open-minded enough to understand that, oh, when I feel bad, that's something I need to process in me. That's something I might need to work on and heal so that I feel better. It's, it's when we take it in, you know, we, we internalize it to the point where we realize that we are responsible for how we feel and we stop pointing the finger at other people saying they are making me feel that way. And there are gray areas here, at least in my belief, where other people can make you feel a certain way because they manipulate, because they influence, uh, because they're unscrupulous, because they're devious or whatever. But really what it comes down to is when you take that responsibility on that, oh, I feel bad, therefore there's something I need to look at in myself, when you take that on, your, your healing, your growth, your mental and emotional evolution usually accelerates because you're taking responsibility. I think once you take responsibility, your growth is exponential because you can find and apply solutions as opposed to that person is terrible. I want that person to change and I'm, I'm pointing outside myself. I'm pointing at someone else. That person is terrible. That person needs to change. And I won't be happy until that person changes. And I'm even going to try to change them. When we do that, we let go of our growth and our evolution. We let it go and put it in the hands of someone else. My happiness, my joy, my peace has to come from that toxic person. I'm being sarcastic, but I've done that, haven't you? I mean, maybe you haven't, but I've done that. My growth, my happiness has to come from that person. They have to show up in a way that is satisfying to me, that is healthy for me. I mean, that is true that it would be great if they showed up in that way. But when we say it is their responsibility to show up in the way that I require, then we lose our power. We become disempowered. We let that power go and we give it to someone else. And when it's in someone else's hands, we can either wait forever because that's what happens sometimes. We wait for them to do something or change or become the person that we need them to be. Or we decide, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for my life and I'm going to now take it from here. Thanks. I'm going to move on without needing you doesn't mean you can't have them in your life. If you want, you can have them in your life. Um, maybe they're not toxic, but maybe it's time to look inward and say, you know, I got to take care of this. There's something going on in me. I feel bad and I have the ability to change that. You may not believe that, but it's sort of a self-affirmation. I know affirmations. I have the ability to change how I feel. Again, you may not believe it, but at least you start the process of taking responsibility and trying to figure it out. And if you've heard my other episodes where I talk about drilling into the problem, well, why do I feel that way? How is that a problem? You know, you come up with an answer and how is that a problem? Well, where did that come from? When did that start? I like that question too. When did that start? Well, you know, I started feeling this way when I got into this relationship. Really? You never felt this specific feeling before that? Well, you know, when my mom used to neglect me, okay, you're getting closer. You know, you drill into these issues yourself. And then when you're in a relationship where somebody's doing something that you disagree with or they're not showing up in a way that is meeting your needs, 
and then you feel bad about it, you no longer have to point the finger outside yourself and hope they'll change. You point the finger toward yourself and you ask, okay, what's going on in me? Why is this a problem? I mean, it could be a real problem. They could be abusive. Absolutely. But then you have to still point the finger at yourself and ask, wait, why am I staying in this relationship? Why am I continuing to punish myself by continuing to stay with someone who treats me this way? If you continue to bring it back to yourself, even though sometimes it may not feel right, even though it may not sometimes feel justifiable or it's even an injustice because someone else did this to me. But when you bring it back and and ask yourself, okay, why am I feeling this way? Why does it hurt so much? Why this? Why that? What about that hurts so much? What is causing that hurt in me? Well, they did it. They did it. Yes, we're going to have those thoughts. They did it. But when we bring it back into ourselves, then we have access to be able to change it. We can't change it if it's in someone else's hands, if we're focused outside ourselves. But we can start to make the changes and you know, take the steps we need, find the information and the resources and the right people to help us through whatever we're going through. But at least we are now focused on where the real solutions lie, which are the steps that we take for ourselves to get through it. Which brings us back to me in my 40s dealing with this medical stuff uh, and thinking, oh, I'm getting old. This is a problem. I don't like getting old. There's my first thought. I don't like getting old. Oh, really? So you're blaming your age. Where does this come from? Here I am taking responsibility. Instead of blaming the natural order of things on this planet in the universe, I come back to myself and ask, okay, uh, why don't you like getting old? Well, getting old, my organs could fail. I could get cancer. I'm starting to get these test results back that are unfavorable. I'm going to have to take examinations that I don't like. Okay, uh, what have you done? Now I'm back in myself, asking myself these questions, taking responsibility. What have you done throughout your life to prevent bad results from coming back? To prevent results that you don't want? Huh? (laughs) What do you mean? Well, you know, have you eaten very healthy throughout your life? Well, yeah, I ate healthy enough. Okay. What, how do you define healthy? What, you know, you said you drank a lot of soda when you were younger and you eat a lot of pasta now and I bet you love pizza. Well, of course I love all that stuff. Uh, but wait a minute, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that your test results represent the totality of who you are and what you've done your whole life, which is why it's important for you to take responsibility so that you're not pointing the finger outside yourself and say, oh, getting old sucks. Or, I didn't want to drink that night, but all my friends peer pressured me into it, so it's not my fault. Or, of course I'm going to have pizza on family night. Of course I'm going to do these things. Pointing the finger outside ourselves, blaming something else, instead of the choices, and I'll speak for myself, instead of the choices that I made in my life that I'd heard over and over again were unhealthy. And here I am facing test results at a hospital that show me that my decisions weren't as healthy as they could be. This doesn't describe everyone. There are people that have done the best they could throughout their life and they still get the results they don't want. But I had different choices throughout my life and I didn't make them. So why would I blame age? (laughs) But I do. But at the same time, I know it's not necessarily age causing this. It's my decisions. And why do I go there? Because I want to know that I still have the power to make things better. I don't want to give away my power to age. I don't want to give away my power to toxic people. I don't want to give away my power to peer pressure from other people or traditions like having three pieces of pie on Thanksgiving (laughs) and expecting to be healthy. I mean, yeah, I I think about that and I go, okay, one day out of the year, but I bet I had a brownie the next day. You know, I have these thoughts and I realize, you know, I need to make changes. So this is what this first segment's all about is think of the changes that maybe you haven't made that might actually 
result in an outcome that you don't want later. For example, and I'm not picking on anyone here, but smoking is a good example. You're smoking cigarettes. You're thinking, hey, I'm fine now. It's not affecting me short term. But we all know that smoking is a carcinogen and causes cancer. Not everyone gets cancer. I understand that. But for the most part, that's a scientific fact. That is a belief that most people have, that it will cause cancer. So again, I'm not picking on the smokers. If you smoke, that's totally your choice, up to you. I'm just saying that those kinds of choices that we make every day, when an unfavorable outcome comes up, and it has to do with the choices that you made, for example, smoking, and lung cancer comes up as a diagnosis, you still have the power to make a different choice at that moment. You still have an opportunity to say, you know what, I made that choice. This is what happened because of those choices. I'm willing to accept that those are the choices that I made, and I'm not going to point the finger outside of me and say, you know, these cigarette companies, you are marketing to me, because even if that's true, you lose your power. So how do you keep your power? How do you make change in your life? How do you cause the most exponential growth in you? Whether you've already made choices that created the outcome that you didn't want, or you're making choices now that you know might lead to an unfavorable outcome, the question of how do I keep my power no matter what is to take responsibility, is to bring it back into you so that you can now make different choices. You can always make different choices. And yes, Sometimes when it comes to your physical health, it's too late, but you can still make different choices even when it's too late because I want you to have that choice. Even when you think it's too late, I still want you to be able to make that choice for yourself so that uh, even if you've been diagnosed with something awful, like um, a friend of my girlfriend and I, uh, she had cancer and she went through a lot, uh, a lot of treatment and she made it. Because she decided to take responsibility, even though there were things that she couldn't prevent. There are things in this world that you cannot prevent. If you walk outside, you're breathing in everything that's coming out of our car exhausts. You're breathing in industrial toxicity. You're breathing in stuff that you really can't prevent. Hopefully, most of the air is clean, but maybe where you are, it's not. I know L.A., (laughs) when I was in San Diego... I did not enjoy breathing the air. And so, I, you know, that wasn't the only reason I left th- that place. But I just knew that um, that was part of life. You can't avoid it, so you do the best you can. And sometimes that's all you have, the best you can. But the best you can do is remember that most of the time you do have the power to make different choices. And that power is more powerful when you take responsibility for all your choices in life. And for every person that you're around, every feeling that you get, even when you think that they did it to you, you lose your power when you put it out there. Bring it back. Keep your power. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I've got an email that I want to read, and it does have to do with keeping your power, but it's not all about that. I'm just going to read this, and let's see where we go with it. She says, Hi, Paul. I want to start off by saying thank you for such a relatable show. You're welcome. I met my ex-boyfriend, not sure if he could officially be called this, on a dating app a couple years ago. I've been quite the tomboy most of my life, and I really valued my personal growth over jumping into relationships which made for some awkward situations when I realized guys wanted more than a friendship. Anyway, this ex-boyfriend I'm talking about, we quickly became close friends, establishing a pretty unique connection with each other. I knew from the get-go he wasn't looking for a serious relationship until he knew himself better and would expect that to be in a few years' time. He had a friend who had a casual relationship with their friend, and they're still friends now, so he was adamant this would be the same for us. I thought it was odd to have a timeline on emotions and relationships, but respected his opinion. About a year and a half into our friendship, we began unexpectedly dating. He had been there for me through a pretty horrific dumping a while back, 
and I will always value him for that. We did have a good relationship, and we shared a lot of new experiences with each other. But we found we were very cautious when any disagreement came up, because we wanted to protect our friendship. He never deleted the dating app. I always knew he had close girlfriends from the site, but I was never jealous, as I knew where I stood and I knew these girls were just friends. But it sometimes made me feel like part of a pecking order. I eventually agreed to a weird pact that we would end our relationship the following year after several months of dating and then have a holiday away together that we'd been planning and then take a break of about three months of no contact. And then magically, we'd be best friends again. Uh, Obviously, that didn't work and I wanted more, even though I was hesitant of how a serious relationship would be. I think we fell for each other a lot more than expected but he tried to distance himself near the end, saying he would be okay if I found someone else. But then he'd react in a jealous way when I would see an ex as friends. So we knew our friendship had changed, and it was the end of our relationship, as we did essentially break up. It seemed surprising, and I felt duped and broken. And foolishly, I thought we'd both end things mutually. We ended up talking about it all, and he just wasn't ready. We cried, and I was a mess, and I couldn't articulate myself properly, but that was it. I went through a depression, but I'm coming back after a lot of help. Normally perfectly happy and confident in my solitude, with friends around still, I hated myself and what he'd done to me and to us. I'd lost everything, and he was dictating the rules of a game I shouldn't have been playing in the first place, but I felt I should have known the outcome, as he explained what he wanted. We've had a series of no-contact periods, but it seems never enough for him. I've reached out maybe four times. I've been honest, but he's told me he hasn't been ready and hasn't initiated things either. He'll reply to me properly and then ignore my follow-up messages and apologize for how he treated me, but still ignores me and says he cares a lot, but isn't finding it easy without me. I know I'm at fault in some ways, though. I have recently lashed out when drunk, big mistake, and rare for me to drink, after several months of no contact. I messaged him sober and was really willing to work through things and fix the situation, but I saw his messages later in the night, and I flipped. He said, nothing could ever happen between us. He's over me. It's not another person, but he doesn't want to give me hope, and he doesn't have feelings like that for me of being in love, and will never have them for me, as he's never been in love. He's closing off to me now, and I don't see us sharing things so deeply anymore. He wants to wait until he thinks I'm ready, and then reach out to me. Weird. I want him back and I don't know how to fix this. What now, if anything? Does he even like me? Okay. Thank you for sharing that, Linda. Uh, There's a lot going on in there. I I actually had to cut out a lot of what you said because there's a lot more that you shared with me. But I want to thank you for sharing this. And certainly, uh, I'm sure you're going through some emotional stuff. Uh, It's been a few months since you wrote this, so maybe you're okay now. But I wanted to read this because it's in alignment with what I just talked about, about keeping your power and about knowing the outcome. This is one of the themes in your email is that you knew the outcome. You think that the outcome would have been different, but you said from the get-go that he told you he just wanted a casual relationship. So knowing this outcome, this gets us into trouble. (laughs) And I hate to pick on someone else, but younger people typically get into trouble thinking that what they hear at the beginning of the relationship is not something that will stay that way. I'll get into that in a moment. And it's not only young people. I'm just using that example because young usually comes with less experience in the relationship department. So they think a little differently than people that get into their 30s and 40s and start becoming more wise about what is really happening in relationships. Some of us don't, but a lot of us do. We become wise and um, we think, oh, so uh, when they say they want casual, they really mean they want casual. Ah, <laughs> um, I'm sure that a lot of us have fallen for that. we not fallen for it, but have misjudged, mistranslated or something and said, well, it's casual, but it can grow into something. No, like I said, we're going to talk about that in a second, about uh, what we present at the beginning of a relationship and what it turns into. Um, But let me make some comments here, Linda. Again, thank you for writing this. Um, I'm sure it wasn't easy to go through. One of the things that you said is that you really value your personal growth over jumping into relationships. And um, I want you to keep this in mind. I want you to, again, point that finger back into yourself 
and realize that I need to grow, I need to heal from this, I need to move on from this, whether you're together or not. Because whatever negative feelings that you have going on inside of you, that is what you need to deal with. Not his behavior, not the relationship being rocky, but how you feel about it. It's that feel about factor. How do I feel about this? What am I feeling about this? You get into that space. You're taking responsibility for how you feel about everything that went on. Because he could have been completely heinous in a lot of ways and you still have a feeling about it. And even though in that scenario, he could be a terrible person, just the one I made up now, he could be a terrible person in that scenario, you still have a feeling about it and that is what we need to focus on if we're going to take responsibility for our own personal growth, which I highly recommend. And that's what you do. And that's what I want you to remember. And I think you know this, but I'm just saying as a reminder that you value your personal growth. And on top of that, let me give you this piece of advice, which is stay away from people who don't want the relationship as much as you do. It's great when you meet someone who wants what you want. If you met him and he says, hey, I just want friends with benefits. I just want casual, you know, whatever it was for you. You didn't really explain it, but let's just say that was the case. And you're like, oh God, that's exactly what I want. Friends with benefits, casual, uh, that's all I care about. That's all I want. That would be fantastic with me. And then you get together and you're happy and then you go your separate ways and you're happy and life carries on. When you're on that same page, life can be great. Just like if you met someone who really wants a long-term relationship and you want a long-term relationship and you both go into it uh, with this shared vision in mind, that can be as great and powerful too. But you're on the same page. So this is why I say it's important to stay away from people who don't want the same type of relationship you do. Now at the beginning, you may have wanted the relationship he described, yet you did say there were some odd things about it. Those are the highlights, and those are what you need to be blinded by. When those highlights come up, like when you said he didn't want a uh, serious relationship until he knew himself better, and that um, you thought it was odd that he had a timeline on emotions and relationships, that is a highlight. That stands out on the page. That is shining in your eyes, and you need to focus on that. Hmm, what is this highlight about? How do I feel about this? Is this a little strange to me? Is this what I want? Because you need to compare it to what you value. What are your values in a relationship? What's important to you? Hey, if that's what you want too, great. Now you're synergizing. Now you're synchronizing. Now you're walking along the same path with the same shared vision. But if it's odd and you've got this imbalance, I want this type of relationship, but he wants this type of relationship, but uh, maybe we can work together with it for now and just see where it goes. When you walk in to a relationship with that kind of attitude, well, let's just see where this goes. Even though we're not really on the same page right now, well, let's just see where it goes. You do risk what happened here. You risk it because now you have information that you know is almost incompatible, at least imbalanced. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a relationship. I'm just saying this is, I don't want to call it a red flag. It's just a highlight. It's a highlight. It stands out. And you need to be aware that that's there and don't lose focus on it. Because what happens often is we lose focus on the highlights. Well, this doesn't match up and this doesn't match up, but this doesn't match up. But this other 90% is fantastic and that's what I'm going to focus on. If you take your focus off the highlights, you end up getting surprised by them later. Because it's not like they disappear. We sometimes want them to disappear. We go into the relationship hoping that they'll change their mind and really fall in love. And, you know, this could be one of our thoughts. And when they don't, we have to remind ourselves, we take responsibility and we say, wait, I knew about these highlights. I knew about these things. I should have been more aware of these things because now they're coming up. So is that his fault? Is that the other person's fault? Or is it mine? I'm not, I shouldn't say fault, but it is my responsibility. It's my responsibility to make sure that I take responsibility for knowing what I was getting into and accepting the risks. 
okay, I accept the risks, but it still hurts. Yes, it does. It still hurts, but I bring it back. Okay, what hurts about this? Why does this hurt so much? And then we might want to blame. Well, he shouldn't have led me on like that. And he said he was falling for me and he wanted to spend more time with me. Well, let's bring it back. I knew about the highlights, but I ignored them. I mean, that might be a thought that comes to your mind. And so as I got closer, ignoring those highlights, was it really his fault, knowing what I know, that I kept going forward with this without addressing those highlights? So this is where we really have to take responsibility, even though we don't want to. (laughs) I mean, we may not want to. I put myself in your shoes and I think, I don't want to take responsibility for that. He led me on. But then I have to come back and point at myself and say, yeah, but I knew about these things. And I didn't talk about them again. I didn't keep them at the forefront, making sure every time I thought about it, I brought it up and we talked about it and find out where he is with it. Because yes, people can change their mind. Yes, they can be in a relationship and realize, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. I want more in this relationship. But they will usually convey that to you in some way. But you should still talk about those old highlights at the beginning of the relationship. And you mentioned something huge at the beginning of your email, which is, hey, he had a friend that was in a casual relationship with someone else, and they're friends now, uh, so he wanted that same thing for us. And you said it was odd to have a timeline of emotions. So you went into it knowing this would not be a serious relationship, um, which means something very important. And um, this could be an unpleasant thing to hear, but you have to stay out of love. It doesn't mean you don't love them, but you have to stay out of being in love or falling in love with the person. And you have to be very aware that as you are with someone that you start having feelings for, that you are aware of those feelings growing inside of you. If you start having those in love feelings where you really love the feeling of loving the person and you love being with them, And if they were with, and this is a good gauge, if they were with someone else, how would that make you feel? It's a good gauge of finding out if you're in love or not. (laughs) If they date someone else, if they're with someone else, how does that make me feel? If you say, well, I have no problem with that whatsoever, then maybe that in love part isn't so dominating in you. I'm not saying you couldn't be in love and have that happen. Absolutely, that's doable in some relationships. But the majority of people that are in love really don't like the idea of their partner, the the person that they're in love with, being with someone else. Again, I'm not saying that you can't be in love and have that. There are relationships out there like that, and I'm certainly not talking about those. I'm just talking about the typical monogamous relationship. And when you get into that type of not-so-serious relationship, you have to be aware of when your feelings are getting stronger. And then... You may want to share those feelings like, hey, you know, I I think I'm falling for you. I'm having feelings for you. And I don't know if you're going to reciprocate those feelings. I don't know if you feel the same way. So I want to share this with you before I get a little too deep. And Linda, if you said that to him, he may have said, you know, I'm having those feelings too, which would have been great. It would have been copacetic. And then you could have figured out where to go from there. But you bring up the highlights. But let's just say he said, well, you know, I'm not having those feelings. I just want a casual relationship. Are you able to then pull back and make yourself stop having such strong feelings? That's the hard part. Because once you kind of cross the line, I'm now in love, or at least I'm starting to have these in love feelings, it's so much harder to pull back. This is why it's important to be observant of your own thoughts and your feelings and your state of mind, always making yourself aware and comparing it and evaluating it to what has taken place so far and not having blinders on to the highlights, not having blinders on to the other person's words, not having any filters that, oh, I'm just going to look at the parts that I love and dismiss the parts that I don't love or I'm worried about. You've got to bring all of these into the big picture so that you can look at them, address them, talk about them, so that you don't end up in the situation you ended up in. Unless they're deceiving you, which can happen. People can lead you on, lead you on, lead you on. And then one day they're like, what? I, 
uh, I didn't want a relationship like this. And then they are now a different person. This happens. There are people out there like that. I think it's a minority. They're not all over the place, but there are people that you will meet that will deceive you. So you have to have sometimes very acute observation skills. You have to definitely be more aware, more observant, so that you assess as you go along. Sometimes it's hard. Some people are very good at deceiving and manipulating and showing up in ways that appear to be perfect in every way, and then they show up differently one day, and you're like, who the heck are you? They don't show up as that same person anymore. They become someone else. There are people like that. I, you know, I, I talk about that in my other episodes about emotional abuse and deception and manipulation and lying, all of these things. There are signs. There are ways to tell. This episode is not about that, but that's why it's important, like you, Linda, to continue working on yourself, to continue taking responsibility for your choices, for who you bring into your life, to be continually informing yourself, educating yourself about the different types of people out there. And I know you don't know all the types of people out there. You don't know who you don't know. But when you meet one and you're burned by one, suddenly you know and like I was saying earlier, you become wiser. <laughs> you become wiser in the relationship arena so that you don't make the same mistakes twice. So anyway, let me get back to your letter and mention a couple more things here. Something I mentioned earlier where someone presents themselves in a certain way at the beginning of the relationship. I hear this from people who get out of emotionally abusive relationships or maybe still in them where they're going crazy. They can't figure out what's going on in the relationship. They feel guilty for all the things they did wrong because they're blamed. You know, there's all kinds of hairy, scary things in emotionally abusive relationships. But uh, what I hear often is that when the victim of the emotional abuse, the partner of the abuser, gets out of the relationship, they'll say, you know, he or she told me everything that they were before the relationship got serious. And I've talked to a few victims of emotional abuse that have said the same thing. He said that he was clingy, that he needed a lot of love and attention at the beginning of the relationship. He said that, and I didn't know it wasn't going to go away. This is what I hear. Or she said that she was a jealous person, but I thought that as we got more and more in love that she would see that I was a trustworthy person and that her jealousy would go away. I want you to remember what they tell you at the beginning of the relationship because a lot of people will reveal who they are at the beginning of the relationship. And I want to thank one of my clients. She reminded me of this, that people tell you who they are at the beginning of the relationship. And um, it's not always the case, but a lot of people do, especially emotional abusers who reveal some sort of, for lack of a better term right now, dysfunction. They reveal some sort of behavioral characteristic or personality quirk that they have. And those characteristics, those quirks stay, those are the highlights and maybe even red flags, they stay in the relationship regardless of how wonderful it gets. Just like when I got married. Before I got married, the woman I met said she was addicted to sugar. And I laughed it off. And I thought, okay, yeah, we're all addicted to sugar. And and I just had that flippant, dismissive attitude, not realizing that it was a highlight and a personal emotional trigger for me because living with an addict from infancy up to late teens, I lived with an addict and I was scared almost every day. So people being addicted wasn't something I wanted to be around. And I didn't realize this trigger was still in there, but she told me she was addicted to sugar and we joked about it, and we even ate pudding that night, and everything was fine, and we got along great. And then years later, we got married, and I am dealing with the, the emotional triggers because she eats junk food, and she has a hard time controlling it. Certainly nothing against her. It was her challenge. She had to deal with it, but I made it my challenge. I was highly judgmental toward her for something she told me about at the beginning. I became judgmental about it when I was accepting of it in the beginning. This is why I'm so focused on myself now to get out of that judgmental, highly dysfunctional space I was in when I was married, 
constantly judging her, constantly making her feel bad. Lots of emotional abuse, lots of silent treatment that's part of emotional abuse, lots of um, giving her that look or saying passive aggressive things, all types of emotionally abusive things I did that I didn't realize was my responsibility because once you take responsibility for how you feel and what you're doing to other people and realize that it's not up to the other person to change for you, it's up to you to change for you. And coming to that conclusion that, oh, so if I don't like her behavior, then I either either need to become accepting and love her no matter what, or get out of the relationship because I'm driving her crazy. I'm making her feel bad when she doesn't deserve it. I'm causing her to feel bad about something she already feels bad about that she knows she's addicted to, that she revealed to me early on in the relationship that I chose to accept, but then later on used against her. That's sick. That was a sick process. I was emotionally sick at that time. And that huge transition I made from stopping focusing on other people, on wanting them to change for me, and instead focusing on myself, asking what do I need to do to honor myself, and if I have a problem that I cannot fix, why am I continuing to expose myself to something that emotionally triggers me, instead of what I was doing, which is continually harassing her in very subtle, insidious ways to make her feel bad about herself. Why would I do that to someone else? That's, you know, I didn't like that about myself. And I made that shift. I made that transition to focus on myself. Then from there on, I became more loving and accepting and really supporting her. And if you heard my story before, you realize that it was too late. You know, she fell out of love with me and now she didn't feel safe around me. She saw the changes in me and she loved the changes in me. But she was no longer in love. She was no longer my wife. She wanted something else for her life because I had just worn her down. And she had every right to feel that way. And I am so happy that she made that choice because she got happier when we got divorced. And because of that separation and and eventual divorce, I got healthier, which of course led to me being happier. This is why I tell people, when you're in a relationship and you love someone, but you know they're toxic for you, but you know leaving them will cause them so much pain, you're doing a disservice. I mean, in a lot of cases, when you stay in a relationship where someone is toxic to you and you stay in that relationship, you could be the enabler of their toxic behavior, causing them not to change, causing them to continue to be controlling or manipulative or deceptive. Not that it's your fault. But you being there, not leaving, not showing accountability, when they're not accountable, they don't think they're doing anything wrong because you're still there. But when you leave, and yes, they will probably go through some pain like I did, they learn the results of their behavior. And they realize, oh, so when I behave this way, I can't keep a relationship. Now I get it. But a lot of people do not get it until the relationship's over. And that's why I say it's often a favor. It's often a gift that you can give to a dysfunctional, toxic person or a good person that's behaving in a toxic manner, in a poisonous way, where that relationship radiation is so powerful that it burns you every day. It can be a huge gift to both of you, even though it's painful to step out of it and give them an opportunity to realize that what they do is causing the rift, is causing a lot of problems. And it's an opportunity to empower them with the ability to make a different choice. When they're in the relationship, it's hard to make that different choice because they don't see the accountability. You're still there. You're, you're, you're not showing them that there's any problem, even though you might be complaining about it or crying about it or sharing how painful it is. It still doesn't matter because you're still there. So some people need this wake-up call just like I did. I needed my wife to leave me, to give me that wake-up call, to give me space in my own mind without her influence, good or bad, for me to come to the conclusion that, oh, I'm the common denominator for all the problems in my life. I'm the reason that people keep leaving me in my life. Good thing these people left me because I would never have figured it out. If she had decided to stay, My judgments would have stayed. I mean, everything would have probably been just as bad, if not worse. So coming back to you, Linda, I know I kind of went roundabout here. You need to be aware of what they reveal to you at the beginning. 
just like when I was married, my wife revealed that she was addicted to sugar and, and other things. Um, that's who you have to believe they will be from that point on. And that's why it's so important for you to readdress and reassess as the relationship goes on, especially in this type of relationship where you're both already on a different wavelength on what you want in the relationship. At least that's what it sounds like from your letter. We're both on this different wavelength. He wants this and I want that. Or it grew into that, which is fine. It can grow into something deeper and more meaningful. Maybe for one person, it's not fine for the other person, but that's why you reassess, readdress, and talk about the highlights, talk about any red flags that came up so that you're always in the know, so that you're never surprised. Hey, you know that thing that you mentioned when on, on our first date? How is that now? Oh, I still have that problem. In fact, I, you know, I'm even more obsessive now, or I'm even more clingy now, or I'm even more this, or I'm even more that. That gives you the data you need, but you have to be aware enough and conscientious enough to bring it up and, and talk about it, even at the risk that they might give you bad news. That's when you talk about the hard stuff so that you're not surprised with the really hard stuff later. Now, let me address one last thing for you, Linda, which is something you said. He, you said, he said, nothing could ever happen between us. He's over me. It's not another person, but he doesn't want uh, to give me hope. And he doesn't have feelings like that for me of being in love and will never have them for me as he's never been in love. Now, let me say this. This is the absolute best thing that he could have ever said to you. This lays it out and gives you closure, whether you like it or not. It might sound blunt. It might sound cold. But whether you like it or not, this is the hard data you need to move on with your life. So this brings you to the pinnacle of pain. It's a huge emotional wound that opens up in that moment. But as soon as that pain reaches threshold, that's when it starts healing. So this is closure. You want closure from people. This is why I say address and reassess the highlights. You want closure on these highlights. You want closure on where they are and where it's going. Well, I only want a casual relationship. Hey, you know, it's been six months. Are you still just wanting casual? You know, you bring this up. Well, yeah, I still want casual. Oh, good to know because I was starting to fall in love. You need closure. You, the only way to get closure is to find out where they are with it, where they are with the highlights, where they are with things. You talk about these things. And when you get that closure, then you can do something with it. It's just like I'll never forget this um, girl that I was interested in uh, I kept leading her on a little bit, and she finally asked me, you know, where is this going? Are we developing a relationship here? And I thought about it, and I said, uh, no. <laughs> and I realized I didn't want a relationship with her. I thought I did, but she asked me point blank, where is this going? Is this turning into a relationship? And it was a scary question. Because, you know, I was just enjoying what we had. I mean, we weren't doing anything crazy. I mean, it was scary to me because it was an in-your-face question. But in, And I was in my early 20s. So, again, I was that was like being in my teens. <laughs> and uh, handling any type of emotional type question like that was a little more challenging. But she asked me, point blank, where is this going? You know, she wanted to know. She needed that closure. And I gave it to her. And she goes, okay, that's good to know. Now I know that I don't have to invest my heart into this and that we can stay the friends that we are. It was perfect. And it also put me in a place of, oh, you know, I should be a little bit more forthcoming instead of pretending or flirting or leading someone on. I don't know if I changed then. <laughs> I eventually changed. But that was informational and educational for me. And it was a perfect question. Where is this going? I like those perfect questions. I prefer closure. I don't like lingering. Don't like unfinished business. You need to know, so you got to ask. So, Linda, I hope all of this helps. I hope I've touched on the points that you really can benefit from. And anyone listening, of course, I hope this helps you. And let me just close this segment by saying something I said earlier, which is one of the most important things regarding this whole uh, topic. It is don't be with someone who doesn't want the same type of relationship as you. That it's just It makes life so much easier when you're with someone who wants the same type of relationship, as soon as you put yourself in deeper than they want to be, there's the imbalance. That's when it starts. 
or as soon as you think that the relationship will get better even though they have these issues or you have these issues. That's when the imbalance starts, especially when you don't reassess and readdress the issues. The highlights, the red flags, you got to keep those at the forefront. Keep them on the tip of your tongue so that you always know where you are. You always know where they are. You always know where the relationship is. And you can either accept the relationship as it is where you're both on the same page and everything can be great. Or you end up in a relationship with someone who doesn't want the same type of relationship and now you're miserable. I mean, that's what happens is you end up being miserable because somebody usually wants something that both people aren't uh, agreeing to. I hope this helps. Thank you for tuning in and uh, I appreciate you. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and we'll close the show with my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Nikki for being a new supporter in the patron program. And of course, all the patron members showing their support through patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I appreciate you. I just released a new uh, private episode in the patron program called uh, Do You Let a Toxic Person Back Into Your Life? I think that's a great, great topic. Somebody wrote to me and asked that, so I answered it over there. If you're interested in um, any of those private episodes or the workbooks and worksheets, the addendum worksheets that I include with some episodes, uh, go over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and uh, become a supporter. The more support, the better, because the show grows and continues to be sustained through such important people like patron members. So I appreciate you patron members. And of course, everyone who supports the show, either through the Amazon link at theoverwhelmedbrain.com or through your donations and even your reviews of The Overwhelmed Brain to let other people know that, hey, this is a good show. Tune in. Your life will change, I hope. <laughs> so thank you so much to everyone that supports this show. And um, speaking of someone who reviewed, I want to thank Pyroman237. That's a name, right? Pyroman237 for their iTunes review. I'm going to assume that's a guy. Pyroman says the show is fabulous and he is so grateful for it, like having a trusted counselor that they can access anytime, and he offers his sincere thank you. Thank you, Pyroman237. I appreciate that review. You know, it does take time to log in and leave a review, so I definitely am grateful and honored when someone does that. Thanks again. And let me share with you, uh, we talked about emotional abuse in this episode a little bit, so the Mean Workbook is an assessment tool and a healing guide for you if you are going through a difficult relationship. You know, this episode talked about a somewhat difficult relationship, but it didn't get too deep. But who knows, there could have been some emotional abuse or verbal abuse or even some manipulation in there. So the Mean Workbook could have been a handy little tool to help Linda go through the 200-point checklist to find out just where she was on that spectrum. Her relationship didn't necessarily sound like that. I mean, it turned out that he just told her at the end, you know, just forget about me. I'm not going to be in love with you. And, you know, that's tough to hear. But at least it was upfront. It was honest. It wasn't trying to hide anything. It wasn't trying to paint a different picture. I appreciate that. Even when it's bad news, that's the kind of presentation I like when someone shows up with that. I'd rather have brutal honesty than the sometimes months or even years of deception and lying and causing you to pull your hair out because they're saying you said things that you didn't say or that you didn't believe you say and then you start not trusting your own decisions because you think they're right because they come up with all this evidence to prove it and it's on and on and on and, and that's what I'm talking about with emotional abuse is that you, you're in a relationship and all these little things that don't add up and they make you feel bad and you start feeling guilty and responsible for all the problems in the relationship until you're at a point where your self-worth and your self-esteem is just so worn down that the only person that can help bring you back up is the person that's wearing you down. That's why I send you to loveandabuse.com. It's like a mix of love and abuse. And it doesn't have to be the kind of abuse that we normally think of. Emotional abuse is just sometimes these tiny little insidious manipulations and lies and deceptions 
and control that someone can do to you that causes you to just feel crazy. So it's not always about feeling crazy. Some people are just abusive too. But go to loveandabuse.com if you're curious about where your relationship stands on the uh, manipulation and emotional abuse spectrum. There's a 200-point assessment in there that uh, classifies your relationship. And not only that, I mean, it doesn't just describe what's going on and help you pinpoint everything that's happening in your relationship. It also helps you be able to talk to your partner about it and either figure out how to get through it together or plan your escape. I mean, sometimes it's so bad that being in that relationship just continues to enable the abuse. And like I was saying earlier, how can you help someone that's in a toxic cycle of abuse? You sometimes have to give them the gift of your absence. It's not exactly how I said it, but that's pretty much where sometimes it needs to go. When it's just so bad, where they're not listening, where they're not into their own personal growth, where they don't care if you're in pain, where they don't care if you're sad, uh, where they blame all the problems on you, and they say that if you want a good relationship, you fix it. I mean, if you're in that space, then that's when you really have to consider if it's really healthy. Anyway, loveandabuse.com. Check it out. See if it's right for you. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And in closing, you know, a couple weeks ago, I woke up with a fever and I had some other issues going on that, um, like I said, I'll share on another episode, another show sometime that uh, I had to go to the urgent care for. And getting those test results and having these realizations that, gee, I'm getting old. Gee, I got to take care of myself. Uh, Golly, if I don't take care of myself, what else could go wrong? And so this little mantra played in my mind of, I better start changing. I better do something about it. And last night, uh, my girlfriend and I went to a Mexican restaurant, one of my favorites around here. I ordered something I never order ever because it was healthier. And I tell you what, I enjoyed the heck out of it. In fact, I've got leftovers in the fridge I'm going to eat after this recording. They were so good. I was so used to eating a certain way. I'm going to have the three enchiladas supreme. One's filled with cheese and there's already cheese on the plate. So it's like a cheese sauce. One's filled with beef and one's filled with chicken. And, you know, the rest of it's kind of healthy, but that one filled with cheese, I just had to have all that glob of cheese. And I find myself making different choices. And these different choices are opening up new experiences to order. Like I ordered, um, I think, chicken fajitas last night. And it was it was such a healthy taste and a delicious flavor. Something I never really considered because you have to build them. To take your flour tortillas and actually build them. And I like to order meals already built. I'm, I'm kind of an efficient eater. <laughs> Just bring me something that's already built so I can stick a fork in it. But um, no, I, I had to take the time to build these chicken fajitas. And it was delicious. It's almost as if when you make different choices, you get to experience different aspects of life that you would never have experienced before and may never have experienced had something not changed in your life. For example, with me, with the physical issues going on, nothing serious that I know of, not yet, uh, but with these physical issues that causes me to change some of my routine, it's giving me new experiences. It's, it's actually making life a little bit more interesting. It, it's exciting to think, hmm, how else can I make a salad? <laughs> instead of, hey, it's pizza night, let's go out for another glob of dough and cheese, which is still delicious. <laughs> and it doesn't mean I'm never going to do it again. But to make different choices, to sit there and see those cookies and not have a cookie, to make these choices, it feels like an accomplishment. It feels like I'm doing something for my best friend, me. Do something for your best friend, you. And if you've been thinking about making changes, maybe you can help your best friend, you, make those changes. And if it's hard, which I know it is sometimes, just keep an open mind. That will help you step into your power so that you can be firm in your decisions and actions so that when you make those changes, it'll be a lot easier. 
always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.